you're listening to the Dirty Boots Show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dirty Boots Show. I'm Chris Nixon, one of the hosts. Pretty damn excited today to talk to Sean Van Dyke. Sean, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that's like a that's a pretty broad question, but um, intro us to our, to our audience and tell us a little bit about what you what you got going. Sure. Uh, a long time ago, I graduated college with a couple of degrees in engineering. So I got a BS in uh, civil engineering and then went to work for engineering firms. And while I was working, thought uh, I would get my master's in structural engineering because that's what everybody else seemed to be doing. And then once I got my master's degree in structural engineering, I realized I don't think I want to be an engineer anymore. The reason was, I mean, I knew how to read a set of plans, but uh, I didn't really know how things got built. So I uh, pivoted a little bit and went to work for a uh, large commercial general contractor on their project management team. And that was a lot of fun. It put me out in the field, you know, part-time in the field, part-time in the office, mm-hmm. and uh, really enjoyed that. So I went down the commercial route as a project manager for a few years. Then that led to uh, working for a real estate developer, which was really cool because I got to travel the country and uh, and build you know big box retail and outlots and all of that kind of stuff, and then got the entrepreneurial bug and thought, well, maybe I can do this construction management and real estate thing on my own. It, well, and by that time I was uh, married, had a couple of kids, mm-hmm. and my wife was like, I'm really glad you enjoy your job, but having two kids, we have five now, so. We had two then. She was like, being on the road for three or four days a week uh, isn't going to cut it around here. So I said, yeah, all right, well, I'll just, I'll just yeah. quit my job and uh, do this here locally. I'm here in Knoxville, Tennessee. So I uh, started a real estate development and construction management firm, did that for a few years. And then uh, 2008 hit and banks weren't loaning money to real estate developers anymore. So another pivot and uh, started a residential remodeling company. I already had my contractor's license. Uh And so I did that for several years. And then one of my subcontractors, my trim and millwork uh, subcontractor Mm -hmm. approached me, his business was blown up. You know, back then we were, we were young guys who went to church together and had been friends for a while. And he said, man, I need I need help on the business side. So he, you know, he took me out to lunch and I thought we were just talking shop and talking business. And he said, I think I need to hire somebody to help me run the business. Do you think that's a good idea? And I was like, that'd be a great idea because you suck at running the business. Like the, <laughs> the, the work and the crews and the guys you have doing the work is not a problem, but running the business, it was pretty, it was pretty horrendous. And uh, so he's like, great. I'm glad to hear you say that. Why don't you do it? And I was like, no, I've already, <laughs> I've got my own thing going and, Right. And uh, we talked a little bit more about it. And again, I thought I was just giving him advice. And, and But he's a really good salesperson. And uh, and he kept pushing it and said, no, I need you. I need your, you know, I need somebody on the system side, on the business side. Otherwise, these jobs I have coming up are going to put me out of business. And right. I said, OK. And I thought I'd call his bluff. I said, the only way that I'll that I'll do this is in, come on as the COO is I'm going to run the business. You run the field, thinking that he'd never hand over the reins. But then. He reached into his bag. He pulled out a manila envelope with 500 receipts and various paperwork, slid it across the table there at lunch. And, and I said, well, what's this? And he goes, that's the business. I was like, this is the bit one folder of a bunch of random paper. This is the business. And, and, you know, like I said, he's a good salesman. And I was like, man, my, my friend is going to really tank if he doesn't get this under control. I said, all right, let me, let me see if I can help out. And that kind of 
that sucked me in and, and I uh, started doing some work for him. And then I realized how bad it really was, but what the potential on the other side uh, could be. So I came on there as COO and did that for about three and a half, four years. And okay. uh, then during that time, it was, I'm, I'm just a systems nerd. So back to my engineering days, uh, I realized when I had my remodeling company that uh, I make more money for my employees and my business and, and serve my customers better when I'm selling work and analyzing data, right? It, it certainly, I've had the tools on, but I realized pretty quickly, I was like, I am not a professional uh, tradesperson that, and I need to manage the business. That's, that's the way that I can serve my business and my, my clients. So did that. And then when I did that for the trim millwork company, after about four years, I kind of realized like, oh, I think I can do what I've done here at the trim and millwork company. And for my business, I think I can do it for other businesses. So again, I, I left that job and I started a coaching and consulting practice. It was kind of crazy at first, uh, was getting clients all over the country, really just started through social media, reaching out mm -hmm. through Instagram. I don't think I could do it these days, but back then this was, you know, six, seven years ago, just sending DMS to people say, Hey, this is what I do. Uh, would you be interested in talking about how I think I can help your business? I uh, started getting clients and then started traveling and speaking at industry events. And then I wrote a book and published it in 2018 called Profit First for Contractors. It's a financial book that covers a lot of the cash flow problems, mm -hmm. margin, markup, how to read your profit and loss statement. And it's a, basically a cash management plan for construction companies. And then once that book was published, then that really kind of took off. And really, I, I wrote, I didn't have any intentions of writing the book. Uh, I just saw an opportunity there. And I really thought in growing the speaking part of my business, it was a, as I say, it's a really expensive business card. You know, when people hire you to do speaking gigs, one of the first things they do is they'll search for you on the internet. And if you have a book, even if the book's no good, I mean, I think profit first for contractors is pretty good, uh, <laughs> but they'll say, oh yeah, we should contact that guy. So that was the whole intention about becoming a speaker was I needed to have, you know, some more assets, but the book, uh, the book took off and uh, yeah. And I've been working with construction business owners uh, and their teams ever since. And I, as I always say, I'm a, I'm a nerd for systems. So I think there's a system for everything in your business. And that's what we focus on is uh, training and teaching contractors operational systems, as we say, so they can make more money, streamline their business and get their lives back. And I mean, who doesn't want those three things? Yeah, no, for sure. So I want to dig into the book a little bit. Um, our audience may or may not have, have, have seen it, so we can dig into that. Maybe just a, you know the theme of the book. You, you touched on it a little bit, um, but before we get there, one of the things we're saying that you said that popped into my mind is our customers, a lot of contractors, subcontractors, self-performed GCs, etc. The theme seems to be like, hey, revenue's fine, revenue's going up, but margins are getting tighter. Like it's getting it's getting harder out there to make money, right? And that's what you focus on. So maybe touch on that topic, which I know is the to a degree the systems in the in the book. But uh, are you seeing the same thing? Are you seeing anything different? Like the customers you work with, what are you hearing? Yeah, it's the exact same thing. Most business owners start out and they get negative reinforcement for a positive thing, okay. which means. I'm going to start this business and I'm going to go out and get some customers because I know how to do this work mm -hmm. and they don't exactly know how the math of their business works. And that's okay. All they know is they're maybe they're charging a little bit more than what they were making at their previous job or they're guessing. And so most of the time when you're guessing, especially on the number side, you guess too low. 
And that's the negative reinforcement, meaning I I made this guess, I put this price out there, and then, oh, guess what? I got the work. So I'm really happy. This is really great. I'm in business. We have customers. But the money that you're charging for the work feels good, but there's no way it's enough to pay for all of the things to run a business. But time is against you. So you start doing the work, money comes in, then it starts going out, and you realize, oh, I don't have enough money to finish this project and I don't have any time because, you know, money's going out at such a fast rate. I better do what I did before and just price some more work. And so that's what we say. You get trapped in what we call in the book, the craftsman cycle, which is Mm -hmm. price work works probably too low and work is probably really high quality. So when you do high quality work for a really low price, then you get a bunch of work. So that's phase two. We, we price work, then we get the work. Now we got to go produce the work. The money flies out the door and we're limited on time. So the fourth part of that is, well, we just got to go find more work. And so we find it by pricing it and getting it and producing it again. And some, some construction business owners just stay trapped in that cycle. And then they look up five, 10, 20 years later and say, well, the top line is great. Money's coming in. But what we say is like, Top line doesn't mean anything. The bottom line is the only thing that matters. The only way to get from the top line to the bottom line, especially as we're talking about the P&L, is through systems. So you have to systematize as as much as you possibly can so that when the money comes in and we got to pay for everything else in our business, there's something left over for all of that effort. And that thing that should be left over is profit. Mm -hmm. And I would say if you're running a business and you're not making a profit, well, then you're actually running a charity and not many construction business owners I know started out saying like, I hope I get buried in paperwork, have no money and become a charity for really rich people. Right. So, and you touched on a couple of those things. So maybe give us a quick overview of the book. And then my follow-up question to that is um, maybe what's changed? Cause you said 2018, it's been what, four or five years since the book came out and maybe anything that's changed since then, or maybe not, maybe things are, you know, similar, right. To how they've you know been for the past five years. So um, maybe start with that overview. The premise of the profit first for contractors is think about the money that comes into your business. It's, it's not actually all your money. Meaning uh, it, again, as we say in the book, we want to take our profits first. So a, a dollar comes into the business, then we want to make sure that we protect the profit part. So we set it aside in a bank account and we don't touch it. And this doesn't, you know, if you're, if there's people with uh, letters after their names, as I say, CPAs, MBA, CFOs, they're going to say, oh, that's not how you make a profit. But it, but it actually is. If we take some money, we stick it aside and say, that's my profit. And I don't touch it. Literally put it in a bank account. Then you don't have to run a financial report. You don't have to call your CPA. You can log into your bank and see, hey, how much money do I have in that account called profit? There's $100, there's $10,000, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars there. Okay, cool. I know that that's my profit. Now, depending on how much money came in, let's just use a dollar, for example. A dollar comes in, we take 10 cents and we put it in our profit account. We know 10% of that dollar is protected, or at least we know what it is and what it's designated for. Now, in the United States of America, if you make profit and when you make a profit, and by the way, that's the whole point of a business is to make a profit. Right. Congratulations, you're going to pay taxes. And that's one of the biggest problems for a lot of construction business owners. They get down to the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, and they say, oh man, I don't have any money to pay my taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is possible to be profitable on paper and not have any money. So when we set profit aside and we know it's in a bank account, well, guess what? 
we're going to have to pay some taxes on that. So it makes sense to make another account for that part of the business. If every business owner that's listening to this, if you pull out your tax return from last year, there's a number on there that you paid the government. Take that number, your taxes, and divide it by the total amount of money that came into the business. Mm -hmm. That will give you a percentage. And what that tells you is based on how you ran the business last year, and it can, it's certainly more complicated. That's what you hire a CPA uh, or people with letter, letters after their name to calculate. But in general, it's your responsibility as the business owner to make sure you've got some kind of money set aside. So if you look at your tax return from last year, here's the money that I sent to the government divided by all the money that came in. That's a percentage. And it could be 4%, 5%, 10%. And I'm pissing a lot of CPAs off right now. They're like, that's not how you calculate taxes. And I'm like, you're right. That's what your job is. That's why you get paid. But the business owners got to set some money aside. So we got profit taken care of. Now we've got some money for taxes. So out of that dollar, we set 10 cents aside for profit. And let's just say 5% or 5 cents for taxes. All right, we've just spent 15 cents of that dollar that came in. We got 85 cents left. Okay, how much should the owner of the company be paid, especially if they're working in the business? We call that owner's compensation. Yep. All right, so some percentage of that dollar has to go to pay you to work in the company. Now, if you're truly the business owner, meaning that's all you do is just own the business and you don't work in the business, that's not what we're talking about. A business owner gets paid by the profits. Uh, but now we've taken care of profit, we've taken care of tax, and we've made sure that the owner is paid, especially if they're working in the business. The only thing left is, okay, we got to operate the business. How much of that 85 cents, let's say that we set another 10% aside for the owner to pay for their salary. Now we got 75 cents left of that dollar that came in. And that's where the rub comes in. They say, oh, 75 cents out of every dollar is not enough to operate my business and to pay all my bills. So you're faced with the question, do I wanna be an unpaid employee in a profitless business and stress out about my taxes? So profit, tax, and paying the owner are the priorities of the business. So if 75 cents in this example is not enough to pay all of your bills, you don't steal it from the profit, you're gonna to go to jail if you don't pay your taxes, and you, if you're gonna be working for free, you might as well just go get a job for somebody else. So when there's not enough money in the expense account or the OPEX account, operating expense account, then you go and change the way you're operating your business. You charge more, you get more efficient, you cut out the waste so that more cents of every dollar is available to operate the business. And that's what we describe in the book is the bank accounts also show you the order of priority of your business. Profit. <laughs> first. That's where the names comes from. Mm -hmm. We make a profit. We're going to pay tax. All right. We've got those two priorities taken care of. The owner should be paid to work in the business, just like the, just like your employees. So we've taken care of those priorities. Now the fourth priority, and this is where it sounds kind of weird. Uh, and the OPEX account probably has the most money in it. It's the highest percentage, but it comes last in the order of importance. It's profit, it's tax, and the owner's compensation. And then once you start viewing the cash in your business, like I said, that dollar when it comes in is not actually a dollar. Right. It's really maybe 60, 70, 75 cents of every dollar. That's the money that you have to manage to operate the business. Mm -hmm. And that's what the book is. Uh, that's, you know, again, high level pass, but we get into, all right, how does that break down into what you should be charging? The margins that are created 
based on the markup you apply. And that's a big problem for a lot of construction business owners. They think that margin and markup are the same thing. They're not. And when they understand the math of their business, which I always say, if you can read a tape measure, you already know more complex math than your business requires. The problem is you just don't know how to read it or understand it in those pesky financial reports that your CPA throws at you every now and then. Right. No, that's really good. And so I mentioned this before, 2018 book came out. What have you learned or what's changed since then, if anything? You know, you've obviously spoken with a lot of people, get in front of audiences, um, have a, you know, a customer base. What have you learned? Well, I think that one of the biggest things that is changing in the industry, and this is both residential and commercial mm -hmm. side of it, although commercial is a little bit different, different animal, uh, but the demand for construction professionals has never been higher and the supply of those people to do it has never been lower. Right. And one of the things that I think that a lot of construction business owners or people in construction are starting to realize is they are professionals, just like a CPA or an attorney or an, or a doctor or any of these other people that we traditionally see as professionals. And you can't, like I said, try calling up your attorney and ask them to solve some problems for you without getting a bill, right? Not going to happen. Yeah. Not going to happen. And so one of the biggest changes, I think even since the right, you know, just before the pandemic and certainly after the pandemic has been the construction industry is changing and more construction business owners are starting to charge for what I would call, well, I call them proposals. Uh, but the easy way to say it is charging for estimates, meaning, oh, you want me to come and look at your project, spend dozens, if not hundreds of hours filling in all of the gaps, answering a bunch of questions, doing all of this planning, give you a price or bid or whatever you want to call it, just so that you can pick the lowest number. I'm not going to participate in that kind of madness. Uh, and so I think the industry is changing in that not only the marketplace is more acceptable to it because it's so hard to find construction professionals. Uh, but a lot of contractors are saying, yeah, you know what? This does take a dozen years, just as long as it takes to get through medical school to develop the expertise, to be able to look at a project, no matter how detailed, mm -hmm. to put together some means, some methods, some pricing, you know, you, and you've heard it before. Hey, talk to 10 different contractors. You're going to get 15 different numbers, right? right? So I think that uh, construction professionals are starting to see like, no, my time is valuable. The information that I have over the experience, uh, the years of experience I've developed is valuable and I can start charging for it. So I think a lot more contractors are starting to engage in what I would call paid for pre-construction activities. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of contractors being invited earlier into the conversation with architects, with engineers, mm -hmm. because they're realizing, you know, especially with technology and the speed at which the construction profession and industry is, is changing, the architects, engineers, design professionals need that, you know, a lot of that cost information and the means and methods as part of the design. It's no, it's no longer like, oh, we just have an architect design it, then it goes out to bid. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of that still happening, but that's one of the great changes that I see is that construction business owners are like, hey, you don't wanna pay me for all my expertise. Good luck finding somebody uh, that will put in all this time and effort for free at, you know, and keep their fingers crossed at hoping to get the job. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I was digging into a little bit of some of the stuff you published and um, 
have written about, which is um, pretty impressive, by the way. So we're, we're really excited to have you on the show. But let's dig into something where that you about the the biggest mistake construction business owners make, and I think it's about you know setting ego aside and doing everything yourself, and that transition, right? Like how you build that business and with the profit first sort of mentality. So tell us about that. Yeah, a lot of times I see that uh, the construction business owner, especially if they came up through the industry, their family or their their sphere of influence, they've always they've always been in it. And um, I'm not knocking that at all. But the the mentality of, hey, 15 years ago, no one was there teaching me this stuff, and I figured it out on my own. And I figured it out by being on the site, being the the young guy or gal, and having the old dude just yell at me to fetch tools and do this and do that. And they they had such a passion for it, but they figured it out. They couldn't tear themselves away. Mm -hmm. And then they get into business and they take that same mentality into the business side of it to say, okay, well, I figured out this really complicated stuff and I can do it on the business side too. But the stakes are much higher. Uh, and again, time and money is working against them. And But a lot of them just they think, well, I figured the technical part out. I can figure out the business too, but there's usually not enough time. And so I, I find that most successful business owners have this epiphany moment and it happens again and again and again mm -hmm. when they realize, wait a minute, if I'm the smartest person here or I'm the one that, that has the most technical knowledge, I'm, I'm going to fail because everything rests on my shoulders. And I see this, especially on the residential side and it's in the commercial side too where they step out and they, they bring in an operations person. And a lot of them make the mistake saying, okay, I've got to go get an operation person mm -hmm. with construction experience. Mm -hmm. Totally fine if you can find that person. Uh, but a lot of operators, I would say, it's a system-based mentality. And so you should be able to find someone that knows something about systems or operations, regardless of them being in the construction industry, um, a lot of construction business owners think, oh, they have to know about construction. I'm like, no, they don't because they need to know systems. They need to know operations. And it's so foreign to a lot of construction business owners because that job, the operations job, a COO, CEO, whatever you want to call it, those people come with a mindset of numbers and analytics and systems. The, the business part, whatever the business is, is secondary to the way that they think. But the business owners, like, I hate numbers. I hate being in front of a computer. I want to be out in the field. I want to be putting work in place. And they think, I can't believe that there's a person out there that would like to do that. So just trust me, if you're listening to this and, you, and you're thinking that, you're like, those people don't exist. Yes, they, yes, they do. For example, you, every business owner listening to this probably has a CPA. Mm -hmm. The CPA is the same thing. Like, you can't believe that a person loves numbers and loves spreadsheets and loves tax forms, but I don't understand it either. <laughs> I do a little bit because I used to be an engineer, right. uh, but they're out there. And so finding that person that's smarter than you. I always tell my clients, as your business grows, you're going to hit a line and there's a line in every business. And that line is defined by the owner's abilities. And I say, if you can find people and bring them in that are above your line, meaning they have more skills and more abilities in certain aspects of the business, operational side, accounting side, marketing, what you know, human resources, whatever that is. When you hire above the line, you get freedom. If you hire below the line, you just get help. And sometimes we need help. Right. Hey, I'm, I'm more technically 
gifted, talented, or have more experience than this person. I just need to get some people in here to help me do the technical stuff. Great. No problem, but you're hiring below the line. But when you can sit in a room of your employees and look around and go, yeah, that guy's smarter than me. Oh, that gal definitely is more emotionally intelligent than I am. That person is better at handling people. And that guy is a whiz at numbers. There, and you can look around and say, I've got a bunch of people smarter than me. Then you're on a path to success. And then that's what really running the business, I think, really becomes about is how can I get people smarter than me doing more stuff uh, than I know how to do and just hand it off to them. And then the job becomes creating a great environment for those people to stick around. But if you're the, you know, if you're always the top of the heap, you have to be the most skilled, you have to know everything, you're really going to become the bottleneck of your business. So tell me a little bit about the, the academy, Build to Build, right? What What's going on there? Like what kind of, obviously built around systems. Um, just, just give us a, an overview of that. Yeah, as we say, it's operational systems and training for construction business owners and their team. And so we, we've just kind of built some frameworks. One of the frameworks that we take our clients through is what we call everybody's on this thing called the contractor journey, uh, where you go from the doer to the thinker, to the communicator, to the leader. That's kind of what I just described with the line. So everybody starts out as the doer. You're doing sales. You're doing the work. You're doing all of the paperwork or trying to do all of the paperwork. And eventually you realize, oh, there's got to be a more streamlined way to do this. And you start putting your first systems in place. And they could be you know, marketing or sales or production, whatever those things are. But you start thinking in systems so you can start training other people. Uh, and then when you start training other people, that's where you become the communicator. All right. We've got some systems in place, but now we need to start communicating the outcome to these really smart people and then get them to design the systems. As you become the communicator, your other people become the thinker and they, and they think and create the systems. And then when you have a bunch of thinkers and more communicators, then somebody's got to be the leader, meaning we got to exist above all of that and make sure that our people have what they need. And so I'm just a big proponent of there's a system for everything in your business. Sometimes that the simplest form, a system is a person. Hey, you need that admin person in the office, answering emails, answering phone calls, scheduling stuff. That's okay, it's a very simple system. We have Jim or Sally in the office, they're an office manager, that's our office system. But even then, then they need to break those systems down. So we just train uh, construction business owners to have a systems mentality and, and not to go and create all of the systems, but to start working within the framework to say, okay, this is the next system we need. Do we need to have a person filling that system role and then having them document and create systems? And these days with AI and, you know, as you know, with technology, it's always changing. So a lot of systems are, we need that piece of software. All right, well, how does it plug in? How does it tie into every, you know, everything else? And so it's just a systematic way to say, what's the next system? And this is the biggest struggle that I find with most construction business owners, especially ones that know how to technically do things out in the field, they get hamstrung and they get stuck because they think that the whole system has to be complete. And I say, nope, the most important part, well, there's two, two parts of getting a system in place. Number one, defining what the outcome of the system needs to be because things are going to change. And if people know what the outcome is, you wanna give them permission to say, hey, by the way, a year from now, when there's new technology, when there's something different, we still want to achieve this outcome. So change the system as long as the outcome stays the same. So that's number one is defining the outcome. The next most important thing for execution is what's step one. Most of them 
when if they define the outcome, then they think I've got to have everything dialed in before I can launch this system or put it into place. And I'm like, nope, all you need is step one and get step one. And then step two becomes the next step one that you're working on because mm -hmm. the steps are going to change. Right. But a lot of them get stuck because they're like, oh, it's not perfect yet. It's not done yet. And I'm like, you test it out, you publish it, then you tweak it. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Sean, for being our guest today. And I know our audience is going to really enjoy this episode, but uh, appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Dirty Boots Show. To keep up with the latest podcast updates and highlights, follow us on social media.